We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. In verse 8, we explained last week what the gospel was, the full gospel, and Paul was defending it. And now on verse 9, he's in prison, and he said, For which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not in prison. So the full gospel, which Paul defines, it's the whole gospel and the apostolic teaching. Apostolic teaching supersedes the gospel. It fulfills them. Jesus could not reveal certain things until the Spirit came, and the Spirit could not come until he died and ascended. So he said, it's better for you that I go away, and then you'll do things greater than I've done. He was confined to his human body, and he was limited within the area that he lived. So he was not able to go into all the world bodily, but he does all the ministries of God in the Christ, Christ in the believer. He as Christ, he is God in the believer. So when he told the disciples, he said, I am with you, but I shall be in you. That's what he was talking about. And then he could do many things through multitudes of believers uh, that he was limited in his body and the Father did not require those things of him. And now everything he does, he does as basically the Godhead. His intercession is still in the body. The man, Jesus Christ, joined with his divinity. He represents God and he represents man. So the suffering, he said, I suffered tribulation and hardship. And it was by Rome, the emperor he was under at that time. Very few of these people met the emperor. They were important other people, governors and king, and they measured out judgment according to the Roman Empire. It's believed that when Paul and Peter were martyred under Nero. Nero probably never met him, may not have known him. He just went by the recommendations of his counselors and stuff, but he may have. But he had designed before a Roman person could be put to death, which Paul was. Okay. Yet he said, but his word, the Lord's word, is not imprisoned. Now, in verse 1a, chapter 1, verse 8, he said this sufferings that he's bearing is for the gospel, okay? God graces him with boldness and courage to suffer for this gospel. He suffered more animosity and probably demonic buffeting. Many believe that his stake in the flesh, some call it a thorn in the flesh, it was a special messenger from the devil to abuse him and buffet him to keep him humble. And God gave him enough grace to endure it, but he would not remove it. But it was called a messenger of Satan. So it was probably a demonic power and excess that probably the other apostles did not bear as much as he did. But he himself said uh, he was given more grace and he got more revelations because of the grace that was given him. So he gives the credit to God and whatever he bore, 
God was obligated to grace and strengthen him that he could carry out his ministry as also the apostle to the Gentiles. That was his main calling also, okay? But boldness, many people uh, that want the baptism of the Holy Spirit or be filled with the Spirit, all they think it is is speaking in tongues. And the Bible said, speaking in tongues, you give thanks and you're magnifying God. Your understanding is not in place there unless the Holy Spirit gives interpretation. And usually that was only done in meetings. But private praying in tongues and so forth, often it's the Spirit uh, being helped by the Holy Spirit teaching us how to pray. Paul said, we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit helps us in our infirmities. He can pray in. He doesn't do it for the believer. He does it in the believer. He's the helper, edits what people pray, and so it's more acceptable to the Father. And so he was gifted in various ways, but the boldness was the main sign of being filled with the Spirit. Now, the Lord did say, um, as far as ministry, witnessing, when he poured out his Spirit on all flesh, they would prophesy. And that meant to speak under inspiration. It wasn't always a thus say of the Lord. It was speaking or preaching and exhorting, being expired in the moment by the Lord. And sometimes revelation was involved. Many times it was exhortation and and magnifying the Lord. So that's why Paul considered prophesying the greatest of those supernatural gifts, because it helped in many ways. It taught, it exhorted, it revealed, it gave wisdom. So that was the main use. All of the apostles were prophets, New Testament prophets. But when they were filled with the Spirit, the main purpose that it helped the apostles and the evangelist was boldness. Remember, after the death of Christ, they were hiding in rooms. They were sort of afraid. But when the Spirit came on them, they had great boldness to be beaten and suffer, and it, they went right back and did it again. And so uh, the purpose, and even Paul, when he asked for prayers in a couple of his epistles, he said, pray that I'll have boldness to speak. So he's, he understands because of the messenger of Satan against him, he's going to need more boldness to endure the persecutions that the devil will stir up among people. And Rome, why he's suffering greatly here is the enemies within the empire, Jews often stirred up trouble for Paul wherever he went. They tried to create problems, and they did. And some of the Jews had good standing. Herod had good standing with the emperor Augustus at the time. He was a close friend of his. And so he was appointed and given certain lands and positions because of that. He was a warrior for the Romans, too. So he had good standing. So if you were in a high position, a governor, a king, your word meant something. So they considered... Paul more a criminal for one reason. The Roman Empire had many gods and statues and idols, and everybody worshipped different ones and several at a time. And it was even commanded 
that the people in the Roman Empire, uh, their religion, they must offer prayers and, and praise as the emperor is the god himself. And so this was all accepted. But the Christian only served the one true God, and in his proclaiming the gospel and discussing things, these people understood that the Christian doctrine recognized their gods as demons or false. So you can see how it would antagonize the powers uh, that were to be and that were at that time. So that's why they often got persecuted in certain areas, okay? So he had many enemies in the Roman Empire, and the Christian gospel was only given to proclaim the true God and Jesus Christ, his son, which the true Christian understood. He's part of the Godhead also, and so they still serve the one God. In Revelation, when he's around the throne, it says the throne of God and the Lamb. It's both their thrones, because Christ and his ascension and resurrection, he has the full use of the Godhead, that he emptied himself of the use of it while he was on earth and took on a human form. Now he's the Lord of glory, the everlasting Father. He is the Spirit. He was the creator of the universe and sustains it. So he's one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, okay? So other religions worshipped many gods, and as the emperor did, and they worshipped him. And true Christian would not do that, so that created problems. They were considered traitors against the empire because they would not conform to the laws. When Rome took over certain provinces or countries, they let them maintain their religion. And then they commanded them to have their gods and goddesses that they were to pray to them for the emperor. So they wanted tax money. They wanted to prosper. So once they took a nation over a province, they wanted to incorporate that so they could make lots of money. And they only destroyed and went after those who rebelled against them and did not conform to the laws of the Roman Empire. Okay. Thus you make enemies of powerful people when you tell them that they're gods of demons and of false. You can see how it would agitate certain people. Now, verse 10, he says, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, the elect. We'll see who they are. So that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory, that they also, what he's mainly speaking of here, the chosen are the Gentiles. God has cut off most of the Jews because of rebellion and cut the branches off and engrafted grafted the Gentiles into the Christ, into the body of Christ. And this was not fully understood in the old covenant. Jesus did not talk about it with his disciples. He said, there are many things I have to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. Well, they couldn't have understood that, and they believed the gospel for the Jews only. So for six and eight years, uh, the Jews after Pentecost, they were witnessing and preaching to Jews. They were not going about preaching to Gentiles. 
But then their eyes were opened and the Lord began to show them. They wanted to think when the Messiah came, the apostles and the Jewish people, he would overthrow the Romans and set up a, a worldly government and he would be king. The apostles wanted that and believed that. And so right before he ascended with the 500 witnesses on the cloud, Peter, or them, they asked him, when will you restore Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know, or it's none of your business now. It didn't happen until 2,000 years later. They began to do it. It'll only happen fully during the millennium. See, they were expecting it immediately. They were wanting a king Messiah. The Jewish people didn't expect a suffering Messiah. And that's part of what Jesus had to reveal to his apostles and disciples and teach them. And when he told them, give them bits and pieces, Peter said, oh, spare yourself. Don't go to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you don't discern the things of God. And Peter, out of his affection and love, didn't want Jesus to go and be crucified. But Jesus knew he could not save mankind legally and in God's eyes and fulfill God's plan unless he suffered first. So, But they couldn't bear these things that time. But he said when the Spirit comes, he will reveal these things. So this is part of the chosen, the elect, when God cut off most of the Jews for rebellion over centuries. He said he'd go to the Gentiles. It was his original plan to offer the gospel to Gentile nation. He expected all the Jews to be priests. And they were to be a light in the world of God's glory. And they kept rebelling. And ultimately, when he killed many of them for immorality and throwing perverse parties, the tribe of Levi obeyed him and he gave them the priesthood. He took it away from all the rest of them. But originally, he wanted them to be a nation of priests as the Christians are. We are a nation, a royal priesthood. Every Christian has greater potential and standing with God than the high priest did, than anyone under the Old Testament. That's what he's done for us. We have a, a position with him. Very few enter it, and they are shamed often by the lives of some of the godly people in the Old Testament. They don't even get near the way they live because they don't move into the privileges that they've been given. And that was why the Jews lost their privileges and lost their, they got puffed up and proud. Instead of being a light to the Gentiles, they despised the Gentiles, considered them dogs and didn't want to have nothing to do with them. And they gloried when God judged the Gentiles. So they became something the Lord did not like. And so he basically cut most of them off and grafted the Gentiles who turned to the Lord. He offered salvation and a better salvation, a better covenant than the old had, much better. Okay, so the chosen, they were called chosen elect. And again, we've talked about that before. It's not what a lot of people interpret. Uh, there's no place in the Bible where it implies God saves and unsaves people before they're ever born, that in his sovereignty does as they please. They make a monster out of God. If you read the scripture properly, it's not true. Uh -huh. And even when he chose Jacob over 
Esau. When he said Esau, if I hate it, he meant for ministry, but he never dealt with them as individuals. He's talking about their tribes and their descendants. So people often read stuff in there that they don't understand, and it makes God look horrible. But no, God says in both Testaments, it's not his will for any to perish, but all. He didn't say, oh, just the elect, or the ones I've chosen, or the ones he has foreordained and chosen what the church shall be. But if people, they can enter the church and be grafted in, or they can be cut off for rebellion. But the gates of hell shall not prevail against the spiritual church. If there's just two people that are faithful to the Lord, that's the church, spiritual church. So he said there'll be a people from all nations, he'll call them. Uh So that's what he's chosen. The plan of salvation he chose and predestined. Man had nothing to do with the plan. It was not by the will of man. But whether you're saved or not, man has everything to do with it. He has to accept God's plan or reject it. And if he rejects it, he will not be saved. If he accepts it, he will be accepted by the Lord. Okay? So now the Gentiles have received grace and salvation through Jesus Christ. And even the apostles, and Paul was one of them, they laid the foundation for the new covenant church and the Gentile church, and they were Jews. So God didn't forsake everybody. Like Paul says, I'm saved. But as the nation and the priesthood and the pharisaical system, he did away with it because they did not keep their covenant, and it was time for him to bring in the new covenant. So that's why Paul was preaching the gospel when he went throughout certain parts of the Roman Empire, he'd always go two or three Sabbaths into the synagogues. And as we've said, out of 70, 80 million people, they believe eight or 9% were Jews. And so in every major big city, there would be synagogues. And so he would go there first, and most of them would reject him and throw him out. And he'd get a few people saved, and they would come with him. And in God's wisdom, they had to join the Gentiles. And then they were knowledgeable of the Old Covenant and the prophecies, and so they could inform them of these things. And we can see God's wisdom in this. He did this throughout his ministry. Toward the end, he basically says, I'm not going to mess with you. You show yourself unworthy of the kingdom. He said, I'm going to the Gentile. He meant fully. But even during that 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the Jewish Christians and teachers, they were still offering grace and salvation to the Jewish people and the Gentile. But after the destruction of the temple, you do not hear of any special dealings with the Jew anymore. He said he was going to take them up again during the millennium, which is going to be from Jesus' time, uh, 2,000 years, when he fulfills certain prophecies to Abraham and David. But otherwise, the church of Christ is made up of Jews and Gentile. Anybody can come. There are no special places or nations right now. 
the Jew is just as lost as the sinner if he doesn't come through Jesus. They're not a special people. And when the Jew, when the Antichrist makes a treaty with them, he's going to destroy over 90% of them. And it's only the Lord's return. And when they will see him and turn to him, they will recognize that Jesus was the Christ. And they will mourn. And then the Lord will begin to usher in the thousand-year reign. And Israel will be chief among the nations. And the Lord will have his own temple during that period. But until then, they are not under any special privileges. God will do things with them because of his promises. He said he'll bring bone upon bone. He will work with them, but they have no life than them. They have no life of Christ, no more than a Gentile who doesn't accept the Lord. There is no fellowship of Jews and Christians as you see some ministries. We cannot fellowship. What fellowship hath Christ with Baal? If they don't accept Jesus Christ, they're of the devil, like every Gentile. And they have perverted the gospel and deceived professing Christians have denounced God's word and sided with his enemy. So there are consequences for this also. Of course, most of those are not true Christian anymore. They're getting darker and darker, and very few of the institutional organized Christian denominations are serving the Lord. He's dealing with the individuals more and small groups. There is not going to be no great revival. It's going to get darker and darker. And even those who knew the Lord, he said there will be a falling away. It'll be as the time of Noah and Lot. And that was dark times. And he said that's how it's going to be before the Lord comes back. Okay? So everyone's offered the gospel now. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, if you're rich or poor, uh, you're a slave, a servant, uh, you're a free man. The gospel is offered. There are no distinctions. Under the old covenant, the Spirit only came on prophets, kings, and priests. Never came on a slave. Never came on a servant that was in bondage. He was showing certain symbols. But now the Spirit will enter and come on anyone who receives Jesus Christ and submits to him. That's why I said your servants and handmaidens will prophesy. Well, see, once the Spirit came on, they recognized they would prophesy. And all the prophets had to give prophecies, and all the prophets had to perform miracles once in a while, except for John. And yet John was the greatest of all the prophets because of the ministry he was called to do before the Lord. So salvation and eternal life with God is the basics of the message to the Gentiles, to the nation. The word Gentile means to the nations. He's the God of everyone. And those who were given privileges forfeited them, and he brought in the new, which he intended to anyway. But he was going to do it a different way. He intended for Saul to remain king and his descendants to be still reigning. And he could have worked it out by bringing David in. And David had married one of his daughters. He could have done both. But he was told because of his consistent rebellion Samuel told him, and the Lord speaking through him, he said, had you obeyed the Lord, he would have established your house forever. 
And he meant the kingdom. So God can work around things. And he's told us in scripture, he said he did a work upon the, the wheel like a potter, and it was marred in his hand. He's speaking of Israel. He said, so he will make a new work. And that's what he did. So there is no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel against the Lord. No one's going to take him by surprise. And he's planned certain things, and he'll bring them out. And if someone refuses to yield, he'll find someone else. He does as he pleases among the nations. Okay? And now we see, he said, 11, this is a saying, it is trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also live with him. It is a true message, he's saying. Uh, we die in Christ, we will also live with him. And not only here, in the next life, Christ in us now gives us hope. It's the hope of glory, him dwelling in us. He died for our sins and he rose for our justification. His resurrection proven, the Holy Spirit proven he was the Son of God and all he did was acceptable to the Father. He had fulfilled his plans for the message of the new covenant. Okay, He lives in union with the true Christian. He dwells uh, in the human spirit with him. As we've said before, God is everywhere. Paul said, we live and move and have our existence in him. Even demons and wicked people, they exist and are what they are because God has not annihilated them. Everything comes from him and everything is for him. But the Christian has a special relationship that the sinner does not. So when the scripture tells us he's enters us and we have fellowship, he's speaking about relationship and fellowship. But he's in everywhere. He sustains all the natural laws of the universe. And like he said, we exist in him. But he's in the true Christian in a special way. And the person that doesn't accept him, they'll say, well, they're agnostics. They don't know if there's a God or not. A good 15% of the world believes that. And they don't know him. They won't want to know him, many of them. And so he's dead to them. But their very breath is sustained by him. He's in their whole being, or they could not live. But he's not in them in relationship. And when people get to heaven, we shall know him as we are known. We'll have perfect communion. We'll be as angels. And those who are cast into the lake of fire, it's called outer darkness. They're going to be as far away from God as possible in relationship. Yeah but he still sustains the lake of fire. He said, I am a consuming fire. His wrath will be displayed in the lake of fire toward the wicked demons and the wicked people who refuse to come to him and accept him. So he is our salvation, Christ. He's not a gift separate from Christ. Many people think, say this prayer, and now you have this gift. And now you can go live as you please because you've got fire insurance. There is no salvation separate from the person of Jesus Christ. Paul said he has made unto us salvation. So as long as we abide in the vine, we have eternal life. And if we cease to abide, we'll be cut off. 
that a lot of people don't like. So there is no once saved, always saved. And he's going to talk about this in a minute, about enduring and acknowledging the Lord. Uh So he produces uh, what he desires by being in union with us and being the helper. And we have to, the Christian has to give his consent. That's why the epistles are always Half of them were encouraging a Christian to do this, don't do that, because their will is all important. You can yield to the new or you can yield to the old. There is no irresistible grace. There are no robots. We choose. We choose to come to the Lord and we can choose to go away. We can go back into the world of pleasures, and many do, that once knew the Lord, and they say it's going to get darker at the end time. It's going to happen more often, okay? So there is no gift of salvation that keeps you forever. It is not true. It's in a person. He has made unto us salvation. So we have eternal life. As John said, you've overcome. He's talking about the present, not the future, because you believe in who he is and you've submitted to him. And then Jesus in the book of Revelation to the seven churches, he tells each one of them, if you overcome, He's talking about future. If you remain faithful and stay with me, then I'll give you this. But he implied on each of the churches, you don't have to overcome. You can fall away. You can stop following me. And you will not be an overcomer. So a lot of people don't like that. They want to believe no matter what they do, God's going to find a way for them. But they believe in false doctrine. Okay? So if one does not abide, remain, continue in Christ, the branch will be cut off. Grace will have been given in vain. Paul warned the Galatians about that. If you're going to go back to the law, like the Judaizers were telling them, and some did, and Paul said, I'm praying that Christ will be formed in you again. That means they lost. And some of them came back. But he warned them that grace can be despised. And Hebrews, it says, if you were saved and uh, you go away and you despise the blood of Christ, it says, and some people, he says, there is no repentance. You're twice dead, plucked up by the roots. It's a dangerous thing. Peter said, it's better never to have known the Lord than to know him and depart from him. They will receive greater punishment. As the fallen angels, God made no provision for repentance. He had given them the best, and they rebelled. But he did make a plan of salvation for Adam and Eve and their descendants immediately after their fall. They were not, as false teachers teach, they were not totally depraved. No one's totally depraved. And every covenant... We may be born in sin and have original sin, but we still have will and we can choose to do certain things. And he requires that under whatever covenant. He didn't say expected perfection. He's doing the perfection through Christ. But on every covenant, if you kept certain rules, even the law, you made it in that covenant. But you broke the major rules of that covenant, you were cut off. And so it was up to the individual Would they stay in the covenant or would they not? And it's up to them to make the choices and the temptations of the world and the devil can lure them away if they don't 
stay with the Lord and abide with him. So our salvation, which is in Christ and is Christ, is tied up in our relationship and staying with Christ. And that means obedience to his lordship. As we've said many, many times, Jesus himself said, why would you call me Lord, Lord, if you will not do what I tell you to do? He does not consider anyone his that does not follow him and obey him. Many people think, well, I've said this little prayer, and now the irresistible grace will keep me, and God uh, will keep me, and that's it. It's one-sided. That's why you have the false doctrines of faith alone. There's no such teaching in Scripture. Even Paul refutes that. He said, if you're under grace, shall you continue to sin? And he says, you know, whom you obey, that's who your master is. So he, he didn't even get into the, he said, if you obey righteousness, he's talking about following the Lord, practicality. He said, you'll have eternal life. If you follow the wickedness, and he said, death will wait for you. He's just talking about the people that believe they had some irresistible grace. Now, we're under probation. We have to be faithful to the Lord to the end. In Revelation, it says, when he comes, he'll bring some with him. They'll be the called. They were called to the gospel, the chosen. They chose to submit to God. And then it says, and the faithful. A lot of these Calvinistic ministers leave that out. See, it's all God to them. But they preach a false gospel, a perverse gospel. He said they have to be faithful. That's part of the gospel, okay? And so people who do not obey, as John said, this is the love of God. The foundation of a Christian's love for God is not emotionalism. It's not feelings and moods and sentimentality. They have their place. The foundation is you keep his commandments. That means you keep his words. The New Testament includes many things, the law of Christ. And then he later says, if you say you love God and you do not keep his commandments, he said, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. God's not in you. He warns them. If you read 1 John, there's about six or eight qualifications They'll tell you whether you're a Christian or not. And not once does he mention grace because he's explaining what grace will do in a person, but they have to work with God. We are workers together with him. We must submit to him. As we've said before, the greatest of the ministries, the prophetic word, the prophecy, speaking forth under inspiration, teaching, exhorting, and giving God's word. And then he said, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophet. They're not overwhelmed. They're not made to do it. They have to yield to God, and they can refuse to do it or rebel. So he never takes that away from people. That's why he judges all. To judge someone, they must be accountable and make decisions of right and wrong, or they cannot be judged properly. Okay? So what we're seeing is, If we're going to be the Lord's, then we're slaves of the Lord. We come out from being a slave of the devil and the world and self-interest. And we have to remember as Christians, we are not our own. We are slaves. We're bought. We're love servants. We're children. But nevertheless, God owns everybody. 
and everything. He made everything, and he makes it plain. People don't like that in a democracy. Well, God isn't running a democracy, okay? So we have been bought by the blood of Christ, and when we come to him, we just exchange masters. Instead of serving the world, the flesh, the devil, and myself, now I have duty to serve God. And that's why Jesus said, why you call me Lord if you don't do what I tell you? If you're not obedient to him, then you don't understand the gospel, okay? Verse 12, he said, we endure. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Uh huh. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So much for once saved, always saved. Uh huh. And so we endure. We overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, we walk our pilgrimage and our warfare, and that is our probation here. If we prove our loyalty, and He gives us the weapons and the grace to overcome. But if we do not put it to use, then we're responsible. He is not going to drag people into the kingdom. He's not going to make them. They're going to choose to obey him or not to obey him. Okay? And so that's what he expects. And then we will reign with him. As we are resurrected, uh, we will get the victor's crown. Uh, we will know God, in a sense, he says, as we are known by him. There'll be such intimacy with him. So it will be as the angels have. And the angels always, Jesus said, my father's angels always behold his face. It means his full glory, who he is. Not talking about someone sitting on a throne. God fills the universe. But they'll be in a relationship with him wherever they are on whatever mission. And that's promised to us also, those who overcome. John says we are the children of God but it have not yet appeared what we shall be. So there's things we don't understand. Let's take a break here.